What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Bleeding BNG Podcast, episode 74. So, I got another recap episode for you guys today. And we're going to call this episode, What the Hell Was That? We're going to call this episode, What the Hell Was That? Or better yet, we're going to call this episode, A Tie. A Tie. Shout out to my girl, Quinta Brunson. Because that's exactly what the Washington Commanders did when they headed up to East Rutherford in the Meadowlands and played the New York Giants yesterday. Um, and they tied 20 to 20. So to give you a timestamp, as I do for every episode, it's about 5 p.m. on Monday, December the 5th. And the Washington Commanders, as I said, tied the New York Giants a little over 24 hours ago. So, you know, we're, getting, we're here to give you the rawest, the realest recap that we can give you. The only the only unfiltered, rawest recap that you're going to get on the Washington Commanders. You know you're going to get it over here at Bleeding BNG. So, as always, man, if you're checking us out on YouTube, be sure to comment, be sure to like, be sure to subscribe. As I said, I'm going to be pushing out this content, especially while the Commanders in this playoff hunt. Because this is, we get into the nitty gritty of the football season, and this is really where it matters, man. This is the meat and potatoes of the schedule. And guess what? This is the meat and potatoes of the pilot schedule as well, man. I'm trying to put out, push out as much content as I can to you guys as possible. But before I get to anything else, let's get to this recap episode. So as I said, Washington Times, New York, 20 to 20. 20 to 20. And I can't lie to you. All day I've been playing Emotionless by Drake because that's exactly how I felt after leaving that game yesterday. I felt emotionless. I felt emotionless because, like, what you supposed to do with a tie? I mean, I experienced a tie in 2016 that felt more like a loss when we played the Cincinnati Bengals in um, in London. And like I said, that game felt more like a loss than yesterday. Um, and, and I left that game, like, pretty emotionless, um, teetering on the side of more upset because, I mean, we watch football every Sunday for our team to win, and we didn't get that, but we didn't lose, in a sense, either. Um, so we didn't necessarily hurt ourselves in the standings because, you know, the Giants are who we're going against in the standings. But we did potentially harm ourselves going uh, with, you know, like a team like the Detroit Lions storming ahead, going on a run. I think they won, what, five of their last six games or something of that nature. So, you know, we have put ourselves in harm's way if they go on a run or, any, or something like that, being that they own the tiebreaker. And also, um, if we're looking at it and, you know, being realist or being this and looking at it from a semantical standpoint, um, Washington, they came into this week in the playoffs necessarily. If the playoffs started last week, Washington was in it. If the playoffs started this week, Washington would not be. Now, yeah, that is because, you know, we have to play the New York Giants again. Um, and, you know, the Seattle Seahawks won. But you had yourself in prime position to put yourself firmly, firmly in the playoff hole um, and solidify, and potentially solidify in a playoff spot. And we just simply didn't do that yesterday. So, like I said, it wasn't a loss. But, I mean, what, it was a tie. That's exactly what it was. It was a tie. <laughs> so, let's get into this game, man. Taylor Heineke threw for 270 yards. Uh, 27 for 41, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, and one fumble. Now, you see, I read off that stat line, and that stat line doesn't seem horrible. That stat line doesn't read off as a horrible stat line um, by any means. But when you look back at a 20-20 to game and a game that you tied, you look back at some of the missed throws, like the missed throw to Logan Thomas for a potential touchdown on the first drive. Some of the missed throws he had to Terry McLaurin, um, like the one he had last week to Terry McLaurin, and things like that. I mean... Like I like I I said my stance last week. No, I'm not calling for Sam Howell. I'm not calling for Carson Wentz. No, not by any means. 
But I do think as a fan and being a fan of this team for over 20 years, being a season ticket holder, putting my money into this team, I do think that I, I, I have the right to share my opinion on the quarterback play as long as it's honest and objective. And I think that I've been everything everything in that sense when discussing Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke is not a franchise quarterback. And at this point, I think that this roster is good enough. I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I mean, hey, Rob told us in the offseason. Now, we were questioning him early in the year, but Rob told us in the offseason that this roster is a quarterback away. And here I am in December saying that because I really believe it. Now, he did think that Carson Wentz, the $28 million bust, was going to be that man to, you know, tie all the strings together and things like that. Well, that was a joke. But now we got that hand, uh, we got the ball in Taylor Heineke's hands, and he's doing his, he's doing his thing. I told you guys my stats on Taylor last week. I think that Taylor is the guy um, at the helm, or should be the guy at the helm on this roster. But I do not want to see Taylor Heineke starting for my team in 2023, no matter what happens the rest of the season. We can win the Super Bowl. We can win the Vince Lombardi Trophy. I do not want to see Taylor Heineke starting for my uh, as a starting quarterback for my franchise in 2023. It just is what it is, man. And I'm telling you now that the front office and the coaching staff don't want to see Taylor Heineke starting off as their quarterback in 2023. You can tell by the play calling. You can tell by the play calling throughout. You can tell by the play calling throughout this win streak. Now, yes, it has been winning us games, but we've been taking the ball out of Taylor's hands. It's 2022. How many teams have you seen uh, averaging, averaging about 30 Three to 36, yard, 36 rushes per game, rushing attempts per game in 2022. Well, that's what we've been doing through this win streak. And like I said, it has been winning games. It has, it has been winning games. But it's an antiquated way of playing football. Now I'm a big believer in football still comes down to running, blocking, and tackling. So if you execute that at a high level, you're going to win those football games. But what happens when you don't? Like yesterday. What happens when you get holding penalties? The tight end room played horrible yesterday. The tight end room played horrible yesterday. Struggling to hold their blocks up to the point of attack. Holding. Now that one clipping, blocking the back call on Logan Thomas was complete bullshit. And I'll touch on the rest later in this episode. But that wasn't the only holding penalty they got. The other ones were legit. If we want to admit it or not, the other ones were legit. But let's get back to Taylor Heineke, man, because, and, 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 and I, I, I like the local media. I'm a big Kevin Sheehan fan, um, if you can believe it or not. I'm a big Kevin Sheehan fan. I listen to him every morning. Kevin Sheehan went on his, on his radio show today and said that he graded, uh, he graded uh, Taylor Heineke a B-. minus. Kevin Sheehan went on his radio show today and said that he graded Taylor Heineke a B-. minus. Now, my question for Kevin Sheehan is, bro, are you grading on a curve? Are you grading on a curve? Because, yes, Taylor Heineke did give you a magical fourth-quarter game tying drive. But guess what? Taylor Heineke's, some of Taylor Heineke's play is some of the reason why you had to have that miracle game-winning, game-tying fourth-quarter drive. Let's talk about the three quarters. Let's talk about the three quarters prior because they outweigh the good last drive. And it wasn't even a good quarter. Because the drive before that, you went three and out. When you had another potential chance to tie the game, you went three and out. 
in the fourth quarter. So I can't even chalk that up as a great quarter. Now, don't get me wrong. Taylor Heineke gave us a lot of magic. That conversion on fourth and four took Curtis Samuel. Beautiful. 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 That looks like a throw that Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes make on a consistent basis. It's an anomaly for Taylor Heineke, but guess what? I'm not going to take that from you. That was a beautiful throw. That was a beautiful throw. But we can't be harping on one beautiful throw throughout the whole game, and that's a B-. minus. I'll tell you right now, I wish I had that type of grading skill in undergrad, in grad school. I wish Kevin Sheehan was my professor in grad school. Sheesh. I get one answer wrong on a 20-question test, and that's a B-. minus. God damn. God damn. And don't get me wrong. Like I just mentioned, that fourth and four conversion. No other quarterback on this roster is making that play right now. Sam Howe might, may be able to do it in the, in, in the future. He'd be too erratic in the pocket. We saw that a little bit in the preseason. Peg leg Carson Wentz couldn't even roll out to make that throw. He's taking a sack 15 yards in the backfield. But we can't keep harping on one throw. Before that drive, Taylor Heineke had about 220 yards of uh, passing yards. And one touchdown and a fumble. Through three quarters. Through three quarters. And guess what? 275 passing yards may read off as a lot. But he also had 41 attempts. He also had 41 attempts. Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, a couple quarterbacks that had more, way more passing yards and fewer attempts this, this week. And no, by, not, by any means am I not comparing that, those guys. I do not think Taylor Heineke is Jalen Hurts. I do not think that Taylor Heineke is Joe Burrow. But when you're quick to read me off, oh, he ran for two, 275 yards without giving me context that he threw the ball 41 times, then I'm going to have to bring up names like that. It's about efficiency. It's about efficiency. But let's get off Taylor, man, because if I was giving Taylor a grade, I would probably give him about a C minus. I'd probably give him about a C minus. Working his way up from a D plus, which it was before that final drive. But he did give us magic on that final drive. He used his legs a little more. Something that I've been clamoring for since he came in. Why we act? Why we just we inserted Taylor Heineke and forgot he could run? Do we forget some of the plays that he made last year? Now I understand that you're trying to keep him healthy and everything, but man, you try to get in the playoffs at this point. You try to get in the playoffs at this point. Guys go down. It's football. I need to see Taylor on more zone reads, read options. I need to see Taylor on more rollouts, moving the pocket. I need to see it because guess what? In that two minute drill um, that he scored on. That magical drive that I'm talking about, this the four-minute drill, essentially, he was on the move. He was in hurry up. And that's where Taylor excels, man. I think Taylor is a spatial player. He's good in space. And you get more space, or you get to work with more space in situations like that. Taylor is not a sit back and drop back and throw the ball 41 times kind of guy. He's not. So why are we doing it? I'm not even mad at the 41 passing attempts. Let them roll out on a couple of those. 
Send him on some RPOs. The Giants do it. The Giants do it with Daniel Jones, who has a, 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 a substantially way better arm than Taylor Heineke. No matter how you want to put it. I'm sorry, Washington fans. Daniel Jones has a better arm than Taylor Heineke. Substantially. But I don't want you to think that Taylor played bad, man. Because Taylor had, a, had an amazing drop. <clears throat> I don't want you to think he played horrible. But if we want to get to where we want to be, there's got to be room for improvement, man. You have to improve. And we've been saying it for weeks now. In my opinion, Taylor hasn't had a good game since the Philadelphia Eagles game. And while I will chalk that up as a good game on his behalf, guess what? He still has zero touchdowns in that game. So if you want to get over the hump, because it looks like Dallas and Philly are the best two teams in the NFC, not just our division. So if you want to get over the hump and you want to, you might potentially face those guys in the playoffs, we got to start making something shake on offense, man. We still only scored 20 points. Our defense still essentially held the Giants to 20 points. You were supposed to win those games in 2022. You were supposed to win those games in 2022. Let's touch on Brian Robinson, man. He had 21 carries for 96 yards. Also had two catches for 15 yards. Brian Robinson is looking every bit of that 4-5 that he ran in the combine. Now, I know we were harsh on Brian Robinson. And guess what? Every time we said that, we dropped the disclaimer that it was understandably so. But you know over at Bleeding BNG, we're going to give you the rawest, realest, uncut analyst and commentary. Brian Robinson looked slow his first couple of weeks back. Now, I understand you're recovering from gunshot wounds to your knees. I understand. I'm just saying that you looked a little slow. I know why. And that's not a shot to Brian Robinson. That's more so like, why are we giving Antonio Gibson more carries in, in that moment? When it's as evident that Brian doesn't have his legs under him just yet. Well, guess what? He has his legs under him, yeah. 21 carries for 96 yards. Another 15 yards through the air for a total of 111 all-purpose yards. My only critique, my only critique, and this is my only critique for Brian Robinson because it looks like he finds every hole that's available. His vision is elite. Now, while all his athletic traits not be, may not be elite, he may not have, he may not be the twitchiest. He might not be the most agile. He may not be the fastest with the top end speed or things like that. His vision and his strength are elite. His vision and strength are elite, and that's what allows him to be a productive runner that he's been over the course of the last two weeks. He's looking like every bit of the, uh, the back that we saw coming out of Alabama. My only gripe, and this is my only gripe, as I was saying before, because when I watched it during live, I was like, man, that's a big back. So it might have been hard for him to keep that 230 on balance. Why he step out of bounds on that first drive? Somebody tell me why. And I know you guys were crushing it too. Why did Brian Robinson step out of bounds? Like I said, when I watched it live, I didn't think that he had as much leeway. I didn't think that he had much of a grace period after he, you know, he braced for that hit, bounced off to, you know, get back up, get on balance, and stay in bounds. But when I looked up, when I looked back at it on the rewatch this morning, it almost looked like as if he thought he was already out of bounds. It almost looked as if he thought he had got nudged out of bounds. You know, stayed on his feet, but like the guy, the defender had nudged him past the white.
That's what it seemed like to me. And that turned out to be a big play because we only got three in that drive. That's my only gripe for Brian Robinson. I would love to have that. I would love to ask him that question if I got the opportunity. And I need somebody in the DC media to ask him. Like they, they, they watched the same game I did. Antonio Gibson, nine carries for 39 yards. Two receptions for 29 yards for a total of 59 all-purpose yards. And I know some of that is a result of our receivers going off or doing what they needed to do, something that we haven't really seen since early in the season. But please, 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 I would love to see Antonio Gibson get the ball in space more. I would love to see Antonio Gibson get the ball in space more. Remember, we told you early in the season, Antonio Gibson is the most explosive when you get him the ball in creative ways. Not running duos and traps all day and stretch runs. Creative ways. Send him out on a bubble. That's 4-3 speed, 230 pounds running at you. That's why I won in there back then, kick return in August, before all of y'all said it. Now guess what? Guess what Antonio Gibson's been doing? Stunadamus, us over here to bleed and B and G. We called it what? Way back in August? No, no, we called it in May. Right after the draft. We got the tweets to prove it if you if you if you wanna if you wanna come fact check us, we got the tweets to prove it. But I just knew yesterday, I just knew yesterday that Antonio Gibson was gonna run a screen pass behind Sam Cosby. I just knew it before Cosby got hurt. Never saw it. Never saw it. Maybe I'm too innovative. A simple screen pass. Maybe that's too innovative. You finally get a chance to get Sam Cosby, who's a freak athlete, at what, 6'7", 330 pounds? He runs a 4'8". He runs a 4'8", 40. Sam Cosby has athleticism comparable to Trent Williams. No, he's not on the level of Trent Williams. Look at their combine numbers. They're comparable. Sam is bigger. Sam is about three inches taller. I just knew you were going to use that type of explosion in space. You've been dealing with old-ass Andrew Norwell and old-ass Trey Turner <coughs> all, all season. And I think they're the biggest culprits in the reason that the screen game is non-existent. But you finally get this young bull, Sam Cosme, at guard. And you just running duos and traps all day. I need more innovation. I need more innovation. And I was going to hold him off. I was going to hold this off. I was going to hold this off. Because the receivers balled out. And I was going to get to Scott Turner to wrap up our offensive summary or whatever you want to call it. But now I got to get to Scott Turner now, man. Y'all know we were advocate of Scott Turner at the beginning of the season. Then through two, towards the middle of the season, it looked like he was out there joint asking Madden. It looked like he was out there asking Matt. Now, over the course of the last couple of weeks with Taylor, I love the game plan. I love it. Running the ball. I love it. I love it when you're executing at a high level. But, Scott, what was that play calling in overtime, bro? What was that play calling in overtime, bro? And if you listen to me at the beginning of the episode, I'm already playing devil's advocate for Scott. Because I know that they don't have the faith in Taylor Heineke. But, bro, you got to coach to win games, bro. You got to coach to win games, Scott. You have to coach to win games. 
after Curtis Samuel broke off that beautiful run in overtime, I just knew we were going to go, go down the field and score and win the game. I just knew it. And now that Scott Turner has, now Scott Turner has a hand in it, we're going to run two runs up the middle. And then run a fucking screen pass to get zero yards. When I need four yards to get into Joey Sly's field goal range. I'm not even going to try to throw the ball downfield when I need four yards. That shows you how much faith they have in Taylor Heineke. So everybody that's in a Heineke hive that thinks I'm bashing them. Go talk to Ron Rivera and Scott Turner. Because all they're doing is validating everything that I'm saying with their play calling. And yes, I'm going to get on scout for the play calling. Because if you're going to have that dude out there, you got to coach to win the game, as I said before. And the last couple of minutes of overtime, it looked like we were playing for a tie. Which is unacceptable. Which is unacceptable. Yes, it's better than a loss, but you should never aim to be playing for a tie. That should never happen. That should never happen. And that's what it looked like we did yesterday. Like I said, Scott Turner's been in his bag lately. But we got to find ways to get Antonio Gibson the ball. Also, another example of Scott Turner and the offense, offensive coaching staff not having faith in Taylor Heineke. We ran a draw on third and ten backed up in the New York Giants um, end zone. So everybody is in the Heineke hive that's telling me that he can be our, our, our starter, our fan, uh, potential franchise quarterback. Ha ha. Ha ha. <coughs> ha ha. Are the Cincinnati Bengals running a goddamn draw for Joe Burrow on third and ten when they're trying to win a game? Are the Buffalo Bills doing that for Josh Allen? Are the Eagles doing that for Jalen Hurts? Who's not even in their tier? Are the Raiders doing that for Derek Carr? So anybody that thinks that Taylor Heineke is the answer, go look at Scott Turner's play calling in the fourth quarter, and it'll show you every reason why he isn't. Scott Turner's been with this dude since 2016. He knows this dude's capabilities more than anybody else. More than me. More than anybody else that wants to comment on it. And he has six years of data that told him that when he needed four yards, when he needed four yards to potentially get in field goal range and win the game, he was going to run a quick screen to Curtis Samuel for zero yards. That tells you everything you need to know. Now, on to these wide receivers, man. Terry McLaurin, Terry McLaurin. Goddamn dog. Goddamn dog. Eight receptions, 105 yards, one touchdown. Terry McLaurin's one of the seven best receivers in the NFL. He's the best receiver in the division. B. Mitch and Finley. B. Mitch and JP. Y'all just chalked up A.J. Brown being better than Terry McLaurin. What the fuck? What? Do you know that this year Terry McLaurin has five less yards? The A.J. Brown who's playing with an MVP candidate? Do you know that before this season, T. 
Terry McLaurin had more career yards than A.J. Brown. Who A.J. Brown was playing with Ryan Tannehill and Terry McLaurin's been playing with shits. But then I think y'all were trying to say that Taylor Heineke was better than Ryan Tannehill. Ashburn Syndrome. Ashburn Syndrome. Curtis Samuel, six receptions for 65 yards. He was doing his thing. He was back home. We hadn't heard from Curtis Samuel in a while other than running the ball. He was dynamic in the passing game. As I said, he the one, he's the, uh, was on the re uh, receiving end of that 65-yard. I mean, excuse me. He was on the receiving end of that fourth and four conversion um, that kept the drive going to t uh, potentially tie the game. He showed up in big spots. Curtis Samuel is a clutch player. He's a clutch player. And as I told you in week one, Curtis Samuel is a chain mover. If you look at two of our biggest fourth down conversions in the season against Indianapolis and yesterday, who was on the receiving end above of them? Curtis Samuel, chain mover. Professional chain mover. You need those in your offense. We used to have another one in J.D. McKissick before he fell off the face of the earth. Jahan Dyson, five receptions, 54 yards, and one touchdown, arriving back off the side of the milk carton that he's been on on the last couple of weeks. And he came in with a bang, putting on one of the nastiest spin moves I've seen in the NFL in the last 10 years. I ain't seen one of them tight spin moves since who? Who? Put that boy in a spin cycle. Put that boy in the washing machine. Oh, my God. I, think, I don't think he, he barely touched him. He barely touched him. And I'm not saying this is hyperbole. And I'm not saying this with and I'm not saying this as, you know, I'm not saying that he's gonna be as good at this player as this player. But in terms of play style, in terms of just soul play style, body type, and things like that, Jahan Dyson gives me a little Antonio Brown vibes. Football only. Only football. If you look at all, all of um, Jahan's catches yesterday, he's a natural hands catcher, which Antonio Brown could be. I know he catches with his body a lot in those situations where he feel like he needs to. But prime Antonio Brown has some of the best hands that I've ever seen in my life. And Jahan, Jahan has those same type of hands. You see him snag the pass, his first reception when he fell off his back on that shitty-ass MetLife turf, just snagged it off his back. Like it was nothing, got up. Like another day in the park. But that's it for the offense, man. That's it for the offense. You got to score more than 20 points. Scott Turner, I need you to get more in your creative bag. Taylor Honey, you can't be missing throws. Get Antonio Gibson the damn ball. Let's get into this defense, man. The defense played okay in spurts. They got ran on again for a second consecutive week. <coughs> and for years on end, since, man, since, since RG3. The NFL basically took what we created with RG3, pimped us, and used that shit against us, man, because mobile quarterbacks whip our ass, bruh. And they've been whipping our ass for years, since at least 10 years, since RG3. Mobile quarterbacks, and they don't even have to be the most mobile. I'm talking about quarterbacks that can just move a little bit like Aaron Rodgers. They've been whipping our ass for years, and it continued yesterday. Marcus Mariota had damn near 50 yards on us just last week. Daniel Jones has 70 yards on us. Daniel Jones turns into Vanilla Vic every time he plays us, bruh. He turns into Vanilla Vic every time he plays us, bruh, and it's ridiculous. 
I don't think there's another team in the NFL that is just found, has foundational trouble with mobile quarterbacks like we've done. No matter the regime, no matter the defensive scheme, mobile quarterbacks fuck us up. And I don't get it, bruh. I do not get it. Because we're so elite against the run. We're so elite against running backs. If you don't have a, a, a mobile quarterback, again, uh, if you don't have a mobile quarterback on your team, you might as well not run the ball against us because you can't do it. But if you got a mobile quarterback, oh, shit, open up the floodgates. Shit, the, the, just open up the fucking floodgates. And I don't understand it. I know a mobile quarterback allows you to play 11-11 football and things like that. But there shouldn't be a night and day difference because we're elite. And I don't say that lightly. We're championship-level defense when we're not playing Justin Fields, when we're not playing Daniel Jones, when we're not playing Marcus Mariota. Put us up against put us up against Tom Brady, though? Elite. Elite. And I, see, I, I know that's where the game is going. I know that's where the game is going with more mobile quarterbacks. So guess what? Our defense needs to adapt as well. Jack has been doing a hell of a job the second, um, the second half of the season. Let's make another adjustment. Because I know you can do it. I know you can. John Bostic fucking sucks. And with the news that Cole Holcomb had season into foot surgery and he'll be out for the rest of the year coming out today, I'm, I'm, I'm in shambles right now. Because he's garbage. On one run, Daniel Jones had him stuck in the mud like Daniel Jones was Deshaun Jackson. A lot of these runs, the big runs that the running backs have had over on us over the course of the last two weeks are becoming because his slow ass can't flow and get over top. Jamin Davis had another double-digit tackle game yesterday. Jamin Davis has arrived, in case you were wondering. Told you that last week. You don't need to question it anymore. Jamin Davis going to ball out every Sunday. John Bostic, I think I move fast. I think I run faster than John Bostic, and I'm dead ass. Look at my face. If you're watching this on YouTube, look at my face when I say this. You know I'm not joking. I think I'm faster than John Bostic right now in 2022. John Bostic, man, there's a reason why he was cut by the Saints. There was the reason why he wasn't going to be in the NFL this year if you didn't pick him up, Washington. At this point, I'm ready to see David Mayo again, man, because what the hell? Ain't Milo Eifer back? Like, what? He can't be worse than this. Jameis making the call, so what do you need him for? Once again, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, elite. Elite. The best defensive tackle duo in the NFL, elite. John Allen, eight tackles. Deron Payne, two sacks, elite. Max Payne, extend Deron Payne tomorrow. You should have did it yesterday, elite. And the defense, the defense really played. They played to the best of their capabilities. And what I mean by that is they had sorry-ass Christian Holmes out there. And I was nervous last week. Because when I was out at training camp, I told y'all, 
Christian Holmes is built like a damn linebacker. There's no way he can move fluid enough to to cover some of these elite receivers that's getting in and out of breaks, stopping on their dimes. He's Christian Holmes is built like Terry Terry Crews. And you saw it on the touchdown pass. I think the Giants had to, I think his name was Isaiah Hodges. His stiff, swole ass couldn't get out of his break. Christian Holmes was getting cooked. And guess what? I know a lot of people on that uh, big pass to Darius Slade were talking about, oh, man, that's offensive pass interference. If Christian Holmes would have made any type of play on the ball, I'm letting you know now. And not try to lean his body up against a receiver. Some shit that I, I haven't seen since middle school football. He would have got the offensive pass interference. The reason he didn't is because the reason that Darius Slayton had to push off is because Christian Holmes is fucking leaning on him. <laughs> he make any type of play on the ball because the coverage wasn't bad. He's getting that offensive pass interference. Now the rest of the coverage throughout the rest of the day, shit. Horrible. Kendall Fuller played solid. Bobby McCain, I thought, did really well. I think this is Bobby McCain's best game in the slot. He sniffs out a couple of those RPOs and those rollouts. And he showed up yesterday. Cam Curl, man. Y'all know how I feel about Cam Curl. Cam Curl's a good player. Cam Curl is damn near elite in the box. Cam Curl had double-digit tackles yesterday as well. But if we need, if we want Cam Curl to make the next step, if we want Cam Curl to keep getting on, keep or to start getting Pro Bowl recognition, he's got to start making more players on the football, man. I don't think Cam has had an interception since his pick six, um, the last couple of weeks of his rookie season in 2020. I love Cam Curl. Cam Curl isn't like Cam Curl is one of the reasons that our defense is excelling. By any, by don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Cam Curl is, is, is. What what word am I looking for? I'm not saying that Cam Curl is a weak link in this defense by any means. But if we need, want him to take the next step, we need him to start making more plays on the football, man. I mentioned how you know, and I use the words "cut," but I mean it was a good throw. But I mentioned how he got scored on by Dalvin Cook. In the Vikings game, in a tweet, and everybody was bad. Hey, man, great throw, da-da-da-da-da. But then nobody had nothing to say when I said, yeah, but it was the same thing against Aaron Jones the week before or two weeks ago against the Green Bay Packers. And I know we can keep talking these up as great throws, but if you're an elite and you're a great type of player, you're going to make a play on one of these balls, man. Same thing yesterday. On that last play, they got the Giants in the uh, possible field goal position to potentially win the game. It's like Tam Curl is right there, but he's always one second late. I don't know what it is, but I need him to start making more plays on the ball to get to that elite level. He's elite in the box. If he wants to be an elite overall safety and one of the best safeties in the game, I need him to start making more plays on the ball. Because if we're being honest, Derek Ford's got more impact plays than Cam Curl this year. Not saying he's a better player. But as far as impact plays, Derek Ford has been that guy this season in that secondary, especially in that safeties room. But that'll do it for this episode of the Bleeding BNG Podcast, man. Like I said, I'm pushing out this content. I'm pushing out this content, man. Uh, because we're in the nitty-gritty, the meat and potatoes of the, of the football season. So as always, man, if you're checking this out, 
or on YouTube. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe, like I said at the beginning of this episode. If you haven't already, be sure. Be sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, man. Our Instagram is at BleedingBNG. That's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G, B-N-G. Our Twitter handle is spelled a tad bit differently. Our Twitter handle is B-L-E-E-D-I-N-B-N-G. So there's only one G in our Twitter handle. Be sure to follow us over there, man. We're pushing out content daily. We're chopping it up. Hey, you know we cut up on Twitter. If you follow us already, you know we cut up on Twitter every day. You know we cut up on Twitter every day. And we love chopping it up with my Washington Commander fans amongst the community, man. So keep supporting the show. Keep supporting the Twitter. Keep supporting the social media. I'm going to keep pushing out this content. Big news came out. Our next game, ironically, against the New York Giants again. Sunday Night Football. And you know your boy is going to be in attendance. Boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. I cannot wait. This will be my first Sunday Night Football game going to live. And I'm going to try to give you guys a first-hand experience. Might even do a little vlog for you. I ain't going to make no promises. But I got two weeks. I got two weeks of rest. We got a bye week coming up. So I got two weeks that I got to fill in with some content. So let's see, let's see what we do in the next coming weeks. Be sure to keep tapping into this uh, show, man. Be sure to keep tapping into the pod. I love you guys, and I'll check in on you guys next episode. Peace.